0: The greatest need of our country, the greatest need of our world, is not more churches, it's not more sermons, it's not more preachers. It's a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. Welcome to the One Cry Podcast, a nationwide call for spiritual awakening. The goal, accelerating the movement of God through sharing revival truth, stories, and reports. And now, your hosts, Bill Eliff and Kyle Reno.
1: Welcome to the One Cry Podcast. I'm Bill Elliff. This is Kyle Reno, and uh, coming to you from actually right now in Central Arkansas right. at the Summit Church, and uh, but we are excited to welcome you to talk about uh, how can we cooperate with the movement of God mm-hmm. across our nation. That's right. And and today we're 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 focusing on the role of the next generation right. in revival and spiritual awakening. Yeah, they always have one. Yeah, <laughs> always, there's always a movement. Yeah, right, right. It's just not always in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I was just thinking uh, one time uh, we moved into a brand new home, uh-huh. and uh, well, it was a, new to us. Sure. And I was painting my daughter's room. She was about I don't know five, six, mm-hmm. something like that. And I worked so hard, man. And I it was looking so smooth. Mm-hmm. And the next day, I walked up to her room. And she had taken a permanent magic oh, marker She painted. and she painted oh, the, uh, an entire wall. And, I, and, and then she, I said, Bethany, what are you doing? Yeah. And she said, well, I'm just trying to be like you, Dad. Yeah. And it, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <You> <laughs> know, paint some Thank more. I'll you. <laughs> help you. Now listen to this. We repainted the wall. Sure. She did it again. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that time our conversation was okay.
2: <laughs> Little, it was a little you, different. You felt that, uh, so fatherly the first yeah. time, and that second time you felt like I, I, you need to just judge. This <laughs> is
1: discipline. Yeah, judgment begins at the household of Bill, right? <laughs> and so right. you know, as we think about this next generation, right. they're so moldable, right? And 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 if, you know, uh, kids and next gen people, they're adults, yeah. right? In right. kid bodies, That's right? And and we got to direct them, yeah. and particularly as we think about how God wants to use them.
2: Yeah. You have to, I, I have to step back a lot of times. And I think I have all these thoughts and, you know, I, and then a little back, well, what do you think I think? Wow. You know, like, well, and get, get a, Hey, Kyle, like you think on one level, I think, and God even feels on another level. And I'll I just say this to us to sort of set up this thought of the role of the next generation in revival I, I genuinely believe that God is most passionate about the next generation. Now, I know you might argue with me. I, I know the Lord loves every generation, but it seems to me as it falls in scripture that there is a focus from God about the next generation because God knows some things. God knows that the, the future of his glory, him being rightly glorified, The future of our faith is tied to how the next generation will respond to his gospel. God knows that. God knows that there's something. God, matter of fact, if you read the scripture, the mandate he has given us that do know him always seems to move us toward the next generation, the next person to believe the gospel, the next generation being raised in the truths of the scripture. I, I remember somebody told me this a long time ago. And then I studied it out. But, you know, the word tradition, uh, it, it gets a bad rap. I mean, a really bad rap. And, and I, obviously there's bad traditions. But in its, in its core, at its core, tradition means passing from hand to hand. That, that, that's what tradition is. And what God has intended is to pass his fame and his glory and his power and his work and what he desires and who he is from generation to generation, and, and let me tell you what I'm I've, I've coming to find about find out about the Lord as I look at Scripture. I, I believe that the Lord is always looking for a generation. I, I think, as it pertains to revival, I got, I think God is always looking for the next revival generation. I think God is looking for the the generation that would have His heart in desperation for Him. To move, we've been studying and in the book we've been in the book of Joshua for a while now as a church uh, here at the Summit. And if if you if you look at it from a generational standpoint, there there's this generation that had wandered in the wilderness uh, in their sin and their lack of willingness to obey to obey the Lord in many ways, in their their lack of willingness to believe and to obey, and it's 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 terrible, it's tragic coming. But coming into the book of Joshua, this is what I, I sense in the Lord. What we've been talking about a lot is God was looking for a generation now that would obey <laughs> that. that there, I feel like I think a lot of times we look at the father the wrong way and like he's ready to scold us or he, he's ready to say, well, look at you. There you go again. You're not going to follow me. But I think if you look at, at, at the book of Joshua specifically, he knew the hearts of this, this previous generation that, it, it, hey, he got them out of Egypt, but Egypt was not yet out of them, and he let a, a generation die in the, in the wilderness, but now it seems he's turned the corner, and he's looking at this next generation going, I really think you'll follow me. I, I, th- I really think that you'll move into the, to my promises, and he lets them prove that over and over. He, he lets them take steps of faith. He tests their faith. He gives them... Other opportunities to respond rightly, because I I think this. I think the Lord believes in what He can do in any generation, in any generation. And so I would, I just say to us for a second, just to stop, and 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 to let the Spirit of God put faith in us. Let's look out at the next generation and believe. And let's let's look in. I'm looking at. I have five kids from nine years old to one year one years old, and I'm I'm going to start operating in faith around their generation. And I'm starting to say things like, I believe you're a Jesus generation. I believe that, I believe that that's a generation that they'll, they'll, know the, they'll know what it looks like to follow Christ in the way that we see it in the scripture. Because let's say that our country's moving back toward looking a lot like first, first century Rome, which it is in all of our sin and brokenness. But you know what was also true in first century Rome? Man, there was the power of the church. There was a generation of people that were living for the glory of Jesus Christ and what we read in Scripture and say, "Hey, we want to see this happen again." Well, we might live in a context that's broken, but see Christianity at its purest. And I just I want to encourage us to be in our pursuit of revival and our pursuit of what God wants to do. To see the next generation as a crucial part of that, as a crucial part of raising up a generation, reaching a generation, to release a generation into the purposes of God. And I mean, think what I found? Leaders that see that in a generation get to be a part of God doing that in a generation. Mm -hmm. I I think about, you go back to the Jesus movement. There was a lot of hippies out there uh, that God was starting to work with. But there were only a few pastors that actually could see what God was doing. Hmm. I think a a big illustration of that was like a Chuck Smith at Calvary Chapel, which is, you know, he he ended up being a centerpiece leader in that movement. And there's others as well, a part of it. But he could look into the eyes of that generation beyond what they look like on the outside. And he could see the future of the faith. He could see the future of what God wants to do. So I I just want to say. For me personally, uh, but for other pastors out there, for other leaders spiritually in our disciple making, in our planning, in, in the way in which we're living out the work of the church, let make the next generation a crucial part of the next coming move of God. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to adjust our model, because here, here's the thing, and this is, I feel like the enemy's way more passionate about the next generation than the church is right now. And that's a, that's a shame. I, th- I think that the enemy is sold out. You look at what's coming down the line right now, and while it impacts 40-year-olds and older, all that, uh, the ultimate goal is to destroy the next generation, to make it almost impossible for a gener- the next generation to know what God intended, what God meant for humanity. And I I think it's time for the passion level in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to align with the passion of God for the next generation. Because the only person that's more passionate about the next generation than the enemy is Jesus. Is Jesus. Because he paid the ultimate price. So as we pursue a real move of God, Revival and spiritual awakening. I would just challenge us. I would challenge, I'm challenging myself. We're doing that right now right. in our church, Bill, that thing about to to burn the boats, you know. Right. Turn and saying like what hey, what what's gonna wake you up tomorrow morning, church leader, disciple maker, leader in the church, uh, to do whatever it takes to see this next generation know the real thing.
1: You know, uh Kai, you just I'm going to go back and listen to this about five times because you said so many critical things right here. I know around here right now, we've been quoting Michael Katz's statement Uh many times that whoever wants the the next generation the most will get them. Right. Right. And so, you know, the tendency when you get a little older, like I am, if you're not careful, you know, you've done a lot of hard work, you've sowed seed, you've done your stuff. And is to sit back, put it on the autopilot, hmm. and just say, "Okay, we'll let somebody else." Wherever it goes, we'll just let somebody else. But this is the point where you have something to give, right. even more than any other time in your life. And so, for us to throw a rope back and and train and invest That's in right. and 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 let young leaders fly their wings, and right. they're going to do it wrong a couple of times, just like we did, <laughs> yeah, by the same. way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but. But particularly, I, I, I think of what I anticipate with a coming revival is an explosion of movement, and explosion of church planning right and and new churches, yeah, that, next that generation that, of them. And, and next generation led by next generation leaders. That's right. So that's just one illustration. That's one slice of the pie, next generation worship leaders, that's next right. generation, you know, uh, college pastors, whatever right. it is that we have got to invest in them Mm -hmm. to uh, help them experience revival. And the best way is for us to be an open conduit for that ourselves. And then, uh, and boy, what you said, uh, may God give us faith as we look at the next generation to just believe that, okay, this is it. These are going to be the guys that carry us. And by the way, they're going to carry us for the next 50 years. That's right they're going to be the leaders that are marked yeah. by this Jesus generation mm-hmm. that uh will be the leaders. So mm. what kind of leader do we do we want leaders that have no orientation towards right. revival and awakening? Right. Uh the spirit, mm. prayer, they don't get that, they don't understand mm. that. Or do we want to help them get there? Yeah. And and we have a wonderful guy that God is using uh Across the nation, but particularly in the West, mm-hmm. uh, Vance Pittman, who has built a uh, uh, God's built a great church through and him and in a a network of churches. Right. And we have the privilege to listen to what God is doing uh, in that next generation mm-hmm. right now. So listen carefully. Well, I am uh, so thrilled today to uh, be talking to one of our dear friends, Vance Pittman. And uh, Vance, uh, to me, you're one of the heroes of the faith. I, I, I just, I knew Vance's dad years ago. In fact, we worked on the church staff together. Great man of God, great Bible mm-hmm. teacher, and uh, great church builder. And that DNA uh, is so firmly planted in, in Vance's heart and Vance uh, went to Las Vegas and he's going to tell us a little bit about that Planted a great church, hope church out there, but I know Vance, your passion was not just to plant a church, but to plant a church planting church and uh, tell us a little bit about that and, and why, and, uh, and what's happened because you guys have a uh, really a major force in the West for church planning.
0: Well, Bill. First of all, let me say it's an honor to be here with you, man. I, I uh, uh, to hear you say that about me. I think that about you. You are a hero that I look up to, and you've impacted my life in so many ways. And um, and your book um, has impacted my well several of your books, but uh, the one I'm thinking about most of that presence-centered church. Just really, I encourage all of our planters to read it uh, that we send out, just because it's so impacted me personally and. Just so thankful for you. So it's, a, it's an honor to be here with you today. And yeah, man, when God called us to Las Vegas, uh, we really didn't know what all we were getting into, but we did know that it was more than just planting a church. Um, it started for me, and uh, I'll do this real quick, but September of 1999, I'm minding my own business. I was actually serving with my dad. My dad was uh, the senior pastor of Kirby Woods Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was his senior associate pastor, and everybody thought that he would retire and I'd be the next senior pastor. And one morning I'm pursuing Christ's life in the gospels and I'm just reading in Luke four and Jesus made this statement. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also for I was sent for this purpose. Mm. When I read that that morning, I saw something in Jesus that wasn't in me, this passion for other cities and the kingdom to be expanded in other cities. Up until that moment in my life, I'd predominantly thought about the church that I was in, Mm. not the city, Uh, I wanted our church to grow and not his kingdom to expand. Mm -hmm. And it was in seeing that in Jesus that caused me to really do some repentance. Got Mm -hmm. my wife. We knelt down in our living room and just said, Lord, yes. We don't know where we don't know when, uh, but the answer is yes. And two weeks later, Johnny Hunt, a friend of ours mutually, reached out to me and said, Vance, our church in Woodstock, Georgia, feels led of the Lord to start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. And God's put it on my heart. You're to be the pastor of that church. So. We said yes, a simple prayer of yes, and God filled in the blank with Las Vegas, which couldn't have been further off my radar. I'm from Alabama originally, was in Tennessee when God called me to Vegas. And if you're from there, you don't go to Las Vegas. And if you do, you don't tell anybody. um, And you had
1: to learn a whole new language. A
0: whole new Alabama culture, no doubt, for sure. As a matter of fact, when we started our church in Vegas, people would bring their friends just to hear me talk. They just like, you got to hear this guy's accent. Um, but yeah, we reload, we, we moved to Woodstock first and then (laughs) spent a year there building relationships, developing our team. Then we moved to Vegas, December, 2000. And it was never, like you said, just about planting a church. We believe God had called us to reach the West, uh, and from the West to reach the world. So for us, our, our slogan was Las Vegas, the West and the world. So we wanted to plant a church that would reproduce and multiply in church planting um, and, but I have to tell this story because of what, um, you know, one cry is all about. Uh, when I first got to Las Vegas, this story shaped everything about who we are. I, I get to Las Vegas on my first week. I get a telephone call from a lady named Letty Peralta. She's from the Philippines. She said, uh, pastor, can I tell you a story? I said, Letty, I don't know anybody in Las Vegas. You can tell me any story you want to tell. Me. Mm-hmm. She said, pastor, I'm from the Philippines. I moved to Hong Kong to make money for my family. That was very poor. She said, while well, living in Hong Kong. I met an American family, moved in with them, became the caretaker of their home. She said, over time, that became my extended family to the point that when they relocated back to America, I moved with them as a part of their family. She said, we settled in a suburb north of Atlanta, Georgia called Woodstock, Georgia, and I visited a church called the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia about six times. She said, I heard a preacher, an Indian preacher named Johnny Hunt preach the gospel, changed my life. I'd never heard that before. She said, so then we relocate again to uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. She said, Pastor, I've been in Las Vegas for a year and a half, and I've prayed every day that the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia would start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Would you please tell me who sent you here? Uh, and Bill, here I sit today, like I sat then with my jaw just hanging wide open because none of us knew Letty existed. Yeah. And two weeks earlier, I'd loaded everything I owned into a green Dodge minivan in the parking lot of the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, moved to Las Vegas. And it just showed us right then that we didn't come to start anything. We came Mm -hmm. to get in on something that God was already doing in response to the cries, the prayers of his people. And it was something that God was going to continue to do long after we were off the scene. We were just entrusted for a season to steward God's activity in a local fellowship in a city for the glory of God among the nations. And and I sit here today. We just celebrated 20 years as a church. We've baptized over 4,000 people in Las Vegas. Uh, we've started over 74 churches now out of our fellowship here in Las Vegas, up and down the West coast in cities from Seattle and Denver and Phoenix and San Diego. Uh, we're working on four continents around the world where we're seeing some radical stuff happen and I'll get calls and say, man, how did you do it? And here's the honest answer. One lady from the Philippines asked God to do it. And we've been riding away with the favor of God for 20
1: years. Wow. Wow. One, one day in heaven, uh, my dad always used to say one day in heaven, it's going to time for him to get his rewards. And uh, and God's going to look around him and call up a few little old prayer warriors. There's
0: no doubt about
1: it. Letty
0: Peralta will be at the front of the line of the Hope Church story, way in front of Vance Pittman. There's That's no doubt so about
1: it. It just shows you that God hears and answers prayer. And he, he, he does. really uh, wants to do far more than we can imagine if we would just ask. Well, I love uh, your understanding and about two things and, and I want you to tell me how they collide in your thinking. Okay. One is your understanding of church planning and your passion for that, because so many of the churches I heard a statistic, 85% in America were plateaued or dying. And uh, particularly because we're just not planning new churches. We're just not reaching new uh, groups of people. So you, God has really given you uh, great capacity and understanding about that and effectiveness in doing that in the West in a beautiful, and around the world in different places. I also know about you, though, that you have this passion for the movement of the Spirit of God in, in, in bringing revival to the church and spiritual awakening to the lost. And you have an understanding historically about that. And uh, tell us how those two things are Mm kind of connected. Does that make sense?
0: No, it makes perfect sense. Um, I, I, like you, Bill, believe the greatest need of our country, the greatest need of our world Mm -hmm. is not more churches. It's not more sermons. It's not more preachers. It's a Mm -hmm. fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. We need the wind of God to move. We need an outpouring. We need uh, a, an awakening. We need revival. We need God to do what only God can do. And here's what I know: we cannot create movement. Yeah, we can't. What we can do is obey principles in the Scripture that lift up the sails, so that should the wind of the Spirit of God begin to move, our sails are up and ready to catch the wind. Mm-hmm. One of those sails is the biblical principle of multiplying the church. Again, we can't create movement, but what we can do is obey the principle of multiplying the church. And should the wind of the spirit of God begin to blow, then our sails are up and ready to catch the wind. Um, We know this, the mission of God to us is to make disciples. Right. That's what we've been called to do, to make disciples of all nations. But here's the reality. When disciples are made, when you look at the New Testament model, churches are born. We got this thing backwards in the arena of church planting today. We talk about planting churches so we can make disciples that engage cities. Well, that's upside down. When you look at biblical missiology, Paul started with the city. He engaged cities with the gospel and disciples were made. And then churches were born as a byproduct of disciples being made by engaging cities with the gospel. As we obey the biblical principles of engaging cities with the gospel and see disciples made, should the wind of the spirit of God choose to blow, there could be a rapid multiplication of the church as we saw in the early church, when they went from 120 to 100,000 believers in Jerusalem in six months. And then from there to, to most of the known world within a period of 40 years. Mm-hmm. So. Um, these things are, are, are linked together where there's no church planting structure, strategy in place. You cannot accomplish the mission of God, um, mm-hmm. but the mission of God won't be accomplished apart from the movement of God. And we can't create that. We can simply obey the principles of multiplication.
1: You know, I've often uh, talked with church planters about Jesus statement. There's got to be wine and wineskin right? So both of those, the structure that holds the wine, I've seen, I've seen churches that try to go plant a church and they got the wine skin. I mean, it's slick, it's cool. They got all the stuff, but there's no wine. There's no presence of God. There's no Holy spirit. And then I've seen guys that are really want to do what the spirit wants them to do, but, but they're not cooperating in developing biblical wine skins yeah. to hold that and new wine skins. I, you know, during the Jesus movement, uh, that, that, most historians that study this would say that that movement was aborted. It was short lived, could have gone on for a longer time. But the church, by and large in America, um, resisted because yeah. of the new, you know, guitars in the church, hippies getting saved, you know, potheads coming into the church. Yeah. And, and they didn't like it. And so they kept their old wineskin and died. And then you had some guys like Chuck Smith out of California who just adapted the wineskin and exploded and and started so many churches and music and all these different kinds of things. So this is this is really critical. You know,
0: it's absolutely critical. It's, It's interesting you mentioned Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel before I moved to Las Vegas. I mean, I was in the Bible Belt. I'll be totally honest. I've never heard of Calvary Chapel. Um, I didn't know anything about it. I I was born in 1971. So I was too young to really remember the Jesus movement and what that was now as a student of revival and history, the closest thing the Western United States has ever seen to uh, movement was the Jesus movement. All the great awakenings in America have happened in the new England states on the East coast. We've never seen that in the West, which is one of the reasons why, when God called me here, I was so excited because if you study movement globally, movement always happens in a pre-Christian context, not a post-Christian context, a pre-Christian context. The last pre-Christian context left in America is the Western United States. All of the New England states is post-Christian. The Bible Belt is becoming post-Christian, but the West is still largely pre-Christian. The closest thing we've ever had to movement was the Jesus movement. The only lasting fruit of that is Calvary Chapel. There were 1,700 Calvary Chapels, this church planting movement that began out here on the West Coast in the midst of the Jesus movement. But that again answers your question. Um, The link between church planting and movement, the only sustaining impact of real movement are the churches that are planted. There's Mm -hmm. nothing left of the Jesus movement except for those churches that were planted that are still engaging in the mission of God for the glory of God. So we have to connect those things together. But I'm so excited because of what I'm seeing happen in the West. I think the West is the hope for America to see a move of God again. And it will have to be different because as I've moved here and seen people come to Christ, I had to rethink church because it doesn't fit in the box. For example, you and I partnered with the Southern Baptist Convention, the International Mission Board. Well, we started leading people to Christ in Las Vegas who didn't fit the paradigm or the protocols of, I mean, basically for a long time, they've changed all this now, but the International Mission Board, if you wanted to be a missionary, you had to grow up going to Bible school. You had to grow up in RAs and GAs. You could have nothing in your background where we're leading the Apostle Paul to Christ out here in Vegas, murderers. Who would make a really
1: effective missionary, by the way. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) But he wouldn't have fit the paradigm that we've created as the sending pipeline, and the church has got to react to that response. But I do believe that we're seeing the seeds in the West of a move of God that could become radical and like the stuff that you read in the first century. in
1: in light of, in light of all that you've said today, as we kind of bring this to a close and you're going to be uh, with us on another program. So we're excited about that. Um, But in light of what we're talking about today, what would you say to the listeners here? We've got a lot of pastors, a lot of Christian leaders and, and, uh, then what should we be doing to advance church planning and movement? What, what, how can we cooperate with God and as the wind begins to blow?
0: Well, and I'll talk some about this on, on another one that we're going to do together. But I mean, obviously, the first thing we all need to do is we need to join in God's activity through the vehicle of prayer. Right. Uh, God has chosen to move in response to the prayers of his people. We don't have to like that. We don't have to understand that, but it's just what he does. Mm -hmm. And there's something about God's activity getting on our heart as we begin to cry out to him in prayer. What's on his heart moves to our heart through the vehicle of prayer. Mm -hmm. So you can join in through prayer. And then what I would say about church planting is put your foot in the water. Um, Wherever you are on the journey or spectrum of planting churches, take a step. Uh, Any way we can help you. You can email me, Vance at HopeChurchLV.com we will help you connect with a planter. We have trainings. We have uh, intensives. We have trainings for not only planters, but for sending churches, what it looks like to be a sending or partnering church. Any way we can help you uh, do that, we'd love to help you do that uh, because it's just about taking that first step. And I will tell you, it'll change your church. I'll, I'll tell one quick story, but When we started Hope, there was a very traditional church in a small town in Tennessee that was one of our partners. They jumped in with us, came out here, got involved in prayer walking the city and doing servant evangelism. The people went, wait a minute, why can't we do this in our city? They got so excited about it in Las Vegas, they took it back to their small town, and their small town began to do it and planted a church out of their church in a small town in Tennessee where their church had never planted a church before. So it can bring life to your church to take this step to get involved.
1: And the coolest thing is the smallest church. Uh, maybe in a small town that thinks, well, we've, we've talked to everybody in our town can impact the world. That's right. By partnering with others. That's it. The yeah. size
0: of your church does not determine the significance of your church. Wow. The size of your mission determines the significance of your church.
1: Wow. And
0: all of us have a mission that is massive.
1: Yeah. And you know, I've got, Vance, as you know, because you're, you're helping them. I've got uh, four of my sons that are church planners, two in Colorado, two in Seattle, and, uh, you know, people don't understand what one church coming alongside a church planner with financial help, with prayer help, with, yeah. you know, coming out on mission trips. So what it does, it's just uh, particularly in the West where things are so incredibly expensive and uh, it's tough, you know, it's tough. And these guys need encouragement and, and prayer and support in uh, extraordinary ways. Amen. Well, Vance, we're just really excited to talk to you today, and uh, you are a, you are a, a great force in God's hand for the kingdom, and, and we're praying for you all the time, and uh, I wonder if you'd just uh, close us out by praying uh, for these things, all right? Just for these yeah, and I will. what we're talking about. I will. Lord Jesus.
0: Lord Jesus, we want to come before you today, and God, we We want to ask you to move, Lord, our nation, our world. We're desperate for you, God. We ask you to move in fresh ways, in new ways, in power. Uh, Lord, and I pray that you would, as you ask us to pray, send out laborers into the harvest. Lord, Mm -hmm. that missionaries would come to these cities in the West and across America and they would engage cities with the gospel and, and make disciples. And as they make disciples, where churches would be born that would multiply and reproduce and send out for the sake of the harvest. God, we ask you to multiply your church, that your name may be known in cities and in nations all over the world. God, would you do what only you can do and do it in such a way that you get all the glory. Mm -hmm. Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray for church planters that are listening to this today, that are discouraged after the year of, COVID and politics and everything that we went through last year. And God, I just pray for them today that you would encourage them, let them know you've not forgotten them and that they are a critical part of your plan to reach the world with the gospel. Mm -hmm. We thank you for what you're going to do. And it's in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Man, you got to love Vance Pittman. Oh, I, I, I do love him. <laughs> you got to love him, man. And yeah. he's got some Alabama in him, so I love him. Yeah, that's... Deep I, down. I understand I'm praying that'll everything get discipled out of
1: him. Somehow. He says.
2: Yeah. I understand <laughs> even the, uh, the unsaid thing. Yeah. But what I love about him is uh, he's leveraging his life for the sake of the next generation of churches, yeah. leaders. Yeah. He's taking chances. Yeah. Like he, he is one of those guys mm-hmm. that in faith looks at the next generation. He's believing. He's yeah. believing. Yeah. Like, hey, God's, got, God's not done. Yeah. He, has, he has people. Just getting started. He's just mm-hmm. going to work. And I feel like right now, Bill, that's, w- there needs to be this transition. Because mm-hmm. I, I find, and, and, and I understand it because I feel it at times, I think we're just frustrated with. We're mm-hmm. frustrated with the next generation, and, and, and there's things to be frustrated about because wow. of what's coming up, <clears throat> but to move and say, no, but I'm going to have faith for yeah. the next generation, what God wants to do, mm-hmm. and to get there, i got to pray. Yeah. yeah. One,
1: the expression of that is, I'm going to go into believing prayer, yeah. consistent, unceasing believing prayer right. for them, right. and we're going to do that right now. Kyle, let me begin us. And, uh we want to invite you, as always, to really pray. You know, the reason One Cry as a movement began in a pod- our podcast, just part of that expression mm-hmm. of that, is to raise up a united cry, to help churches and leaders right. uh, unite in One Cry mm-hmm. for this coming spiritual awakening. And That'd so be. would you join us right now in that? And Father, uh, we just thank you that this is your pattern, this is your cycle. Lord, you always uh are looking for the next wave of people. Uh and you you believe for them, Lord. Right. You 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 look at them with great anticipation and joy. Mm. Uh, you know what's going to happen, but you're always making a way right. and providing a door to say, hey, I'm knocking on the door. That's right. If you'll just open up, I will come in in power mm. and we will have fellowship together and it's going to get really good. Mm. And so, Father, I just ask, we pray for the next generation. Lord. We pray for the next generation of children. Of of uh, school students, of college students, Father, that you would raise mm. up an army, mm. and Lord, that there would be no way that we're we're creating paradigms and boxes to mm. that is aborting your work in them. We pray that we're opening our hands and generosity in our arms and acceptance in our our minds and hearts and teaching and discipling and training uh so that they can go farther and 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 yes. rise higher yes. than we ever thought about. Uh and we pray, Father, this generation would be known as the Jesus people. Yes. Lord, that they they would they would be marked mm. by a great movement of God.
2: Mm. Yeah, Lord, if the Statement is true, and I believe it is that whoever wants the next generation the most will have them. I just pray, Lord, uh, that you would hear us say we want them yes yeah, uh, lord we 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 want to want them like you do, mm-hmm. so give us your heart and desire for them, desire mm-hmm. to see them come to faith and flourish in it and walk in the power of the spirit mm-hmm. and to see the multiplication of your church and the advancement of your kingdom God so we we want That generation to know you, Mm -hmm. to know you and the power of your resurrection, knowing it's going to cost Mm -hmm. them everything and you're worth it all. Mm -hmm. So, Lord, I pray that you would unleash that work in our day. God, I, I pray that the enemy would have overplayed his hand in this onslaught for the next generation and just the lies and deceptions. And I pray you'd raise up a generation that would know you and would stand for your truth. Yeah that would would look into the face of every lie and go, that's not true. Mm -hmm. That would have this, I I can just see it, Lord. I mean, a generation that would hear something, a distortion of truth and go, no, but God said. Mm -hmm. But God said, a resolve that would stand, even if it's cost us everything, that would Mm -hmm. say, no, but God said Mm -hmm. these things, Lord. So we love you, pray you would do that and do it for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You
1: know, Kyle, I was thinking as we're praying for those who are listening today, and you're listening at different times, maybe in different weeks, but I I just want to encourage you to do something. Take the link for these last two podcasts, as we've talked about college students and the next generation and their role in revival. Send the link to your children's pastor, to your youth pastor, to your college pastor, to your pastor, to your lead pastor. Uh, Send it to... Whoever you think, send it to your children, send it to Mm -hmm. college students so that this understanding about their role and our role in in their role Mm -hmm. uh, can be just fueled a little bit. Throw a stick on the fire right here and help help, uh, God explode Hmm. uh, his work in revival. So thanks for coming. And uh, if you want more information about what God's doing with OneCry, just go to onecry.com. Or, and uh, there's all kinds of resources for you there that will help you along the way. Look forward to seeing you next week.